0: Father, we thank you that every life is precious in your sight. And as we look at that together today, God, I pray that you'd overwhelm us with a sense that you long for us to choose the life that you are ready to bring into each of us. So search us, Lord, as we search your word, as we open our hearts and minds to you. God, would you please take away the clutter and the distractions that are may stop us from hearing that which you have to speak into our lives. Prepare us to hear truth and to be illuminated by that truth, God. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Release the children through grade four off to Children's Church where they're waiting for you and ready to to begin to teach you. As we look again for a moment here at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and. Your copy of God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 30, we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to choose life. And I love this passage because God, through Moses, basically talks to the people of Israel and says, choose life. And uh, the verses that Mike read for us, this day I call heavens and earth uh, as witnesses against you that I've set before you, life and death, blessings, cursing, choose life. Choose life. So that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, hold fast to Him, for the Lord is your life. not that a powerful statement? The Lord is your life, and He will give you many years in the land that He swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The background of this text, of course, comes as Israel is getting ready to enter into the land that God has promised them and they're they're for a second time considering entering this land the the first time they came they decided that it was too dangerous and that they wouldn't enter and so that caused for 40 years of wandering so we know that they were released and redeemed from Egypt in a powerful way by the hand of God brought to ex uh, to the mountain uh, where they received the law. Moses received the law and brought that to them, brought the word of God to them. And so they were a people. They had a law, and God had promised them a land. All they needed to do was go into that land And chose not to. So Deuteronomy, the second reading of the law, the second time the law comes to to God's people through Moses, and this time they're going in. And he says to them, these powerful words, as you go in, make sure that you choose life. In verse 15, it says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. So we see the contrasts here. Life, prosperity, death, destruction, light, darkness, blessing, curses, as we go through Scripture, these are contrasted with each other, as, as God is the one who brings in life. God is the one who brings light. God is the one who brings blessings, and, and Satan is the one, and, and, and this darkness in our world, and all of these things that are in opposed. and God says you are able to choose life, And he encourages them to do that as they go into this land. And Moses says, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven that you need to go there, and it's not that you need to cross the sea. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth So that you may obey it. So there's this this idea that as they're sending as he's sending them into this land. Now we understand this is in the old covenant and and the promise, the covenant that God had had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This land promise and, the, and, and this covenant. And God, we realize, is a covenant making covenant, keeping covenant, enabling God. And so, as He comes and He's keeping this covenant to His chosen people, Israel, telling them to go in and choose life. And He gives them four reasons why it's so important for them to choose life that they and their children may live that they may love the Lord their God, that they may listen to his voice and that they may hold fast to him. That's how we grab hold of the life that the Lord is longing to give us. What about for us today? That's the old covenant. That's the covenant, the covenant that God made with um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses and the nation of Israel and a covenant that still has ramifications today, amen, as we continue to look at that. But what about for us in this new covenant since Christ has come into the world and sacrificed his life for us? What, what about us? Well, in it, we see that still the Lord is our life. God is the giver of life. And the first place we see that is God being the giver of physical life. And if you turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 1, we'll be in John a little bit. We're going to be in several places in Scripture, praise God. But John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, in the beginning was the Word. and John will indicate a little farther in the text that the Word is Jesus, so in the beginning was the Word Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was, with, well, he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made without him, nothing has been made, or nothing was made that has been made in him was life, and that life was the light of men and so he 's talking here about Jesus, the Son being the one through whom God chose to create. And, and as we look at that and we see that God spoke and things came into being, the word was there. Colossians chapter 1, in that amazing paragraph of the supremacy of, of the Son of God, it says, all things have been created through him and for him. So God is the creator of all life. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 when it talks about the creation of Adam then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being now I don't know about you but I'd like a whole lot more detail than that but somehow some way God from the dust of the ground formed a man and then breathed life into that man And Adam was created in the image of God. Created in the image of God, given life by God, the giver of life. Apart from from God, there is no life because God is life and he is the giver of life. And so we we think of Adam and and then Eve coming and, and experiencing the life that God had for them to live. God is the giver of physical life. Psalm 139, and maybe you're familiar with this psalm. It's a powerful psalm of David, and we look at it so many different times when it talks about God having searched David, but in the midst of it, he says this, "'For you created my inmost being. "'You knit me together in my mother's womb. "'I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. "'Your works are wonderful.'" I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my unformed body. My unformed body. David, David says that, that God saw his unformed body. Now what could that possibly mean? We live in a day and age where I think we can fill in that answer. The research that um, CareNet has provided in the in the uh, study that that Mike has been leading has done some fascinating things. And do you realize that at the moment of conception, at, at that moment of fertilization, when a, when a sperm and an egg come together, and God touches that sperm and egg, and boom, life starts. At that moment in time, hair and eye color are already determined. Gender is already determined. And as a matter of fact, features of that individual are already determined at that moment in time. The unformed body. But still an individual. Life has come to be. In just seven days. In just seven days, all the stem cells are there. And they're ready to form the body for that person that God has created. After just seven days, after just 22 days, a heartbeat. After just 22 days, after just a month, arms, legs, kidneys are appearing. After 49 days, fingers and hiccups as life is taking over. Your eyes saw my unformed body. I don't believe David had the science behind his statement. But now we do, and we understand. And sometimes we're told that life does not begin at conception, but, but God indicates that it does. See, no life comes into being without God and without his touch. And what happens is God entrusts that life to a woman and a man, differently but to both, to the man to protect, to provide for the woman, to care, to watch over, to nurture, to support, and to love. For the woman, he trusts that life to the woman, so that this new individual who can't live any other way is able to live as this woman allows her body to be used to bring that body into its fullness until it can be birthed into this world. It's an amazing thing to think that God would trust us people with that awesome responsibility, but he does. I wonder... You know, sometimes we think, does God care about, about, you know, babies in the womb? I love when God approaches Job. And says, stand there, I have something I want to say to you. And he says, do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? Do you watch when her doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months until they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? Listen, God knows when every mountain goat conceives and he watches as, as that baby goat is formed and watches that goat be birthed. Do you think God is interested in the life in the womb of a person? Amen. See, God is the giver of all life, and he is the giver of physical life. So how is my understanding of life impacted by knowing that all physical life is given by God? The second thing we see in Scripture is that God is the giver of spiritual life. He's the giver of spiritual life. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Adam and Eve... They were conceived or they were made by God, created by God, and and they were placed in the garden, and they were placed in the garden to worship God, to work for Him, to adore Him, and to walk with Him, and to be in relationship with Him. And that relationship with God was, was, was a perfect type of relationship until Adam and Eve chose to take the fruit that had been forbidden to them, until they broke the command of God, And and until they sinned, which earned the wrath of God and brought a place of separation between them and God. Spiritual death. He said, if you eat that fruit, you will die. And Satan said, you won't die. And Eve took it and ate it and gave it to Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Now, they didn't drop dead at that moment in time, but at that moment in time, death came into the world because the wages of sin is death. And it's spiritual death. And that spiritual death has been passed forward into each person who's ever been born. But God says, choose life. Choose spiritual life. Come to a place where you recognize and realize that the things you've done that have broken the commands of God are sin and and that has brought death into your life. The verse goes on in Romans 6 and says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Spiritual life is the gift that God is waiting to offer. Choose life that you may live that you may experience the spiritual life, that the separation between you and God that your sin has caused can be taken away, that chasm can be crossed. As you turn to him and you say, I know and understand the things that I've done have earned your wrath, and, and rightfully so, but I ask that you'd forgive me and you turn your life over to him. You exchange your life of sin for his life of righteousness. And you experience spiritual life. In Romans chapter 10, Paul takes that passage in Deuteronomy and brings it forward to the Israelites of his day, the Jews of his day. And he says to them, The faith, Romans 10, verse 6, but the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? Remember that from Deuteronomy? Who will descend into the deep? But what does it say? The word is near you, it's in your heart and in your mouth. Isn't that great? That, that even in this new covenant, that God who is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God is keeping his covenants with the Jewish people, but he's bringing a new covenant into our lives that the word is very near us and the word that we have that's so near us is the word of truth. It's scripture, it's Jesus. The word is near us. It's If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Amen? Amen? For it is with your heart that you believe and justify, and it, was, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So I trust and pray that you've experienced spiritual life. I can see you all have physical life, but have you experienced spiritual life? The third thing we see is that God is the giver of emotional life. He's the giver of emotional life. In John 10.10, which was our verse of the year a few years back, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Choose life. Jesus has come that you may have an abundant and full life, and that includes your physical life, it includes your spiritual life, but it includes emotional life as well. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, there's such an important passage as it talks about the truth, and John says this, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, he says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, Jesus is the one who is bigger than any of the mistakes we've made, any of the choices we've made to turn away from the commands of God, to turn away from the love of God. Jesus is our advocate, and he is longing to to bring to you, you who have received spiritual life, he is longing to bring a fullness to your life that includes emotional life. Satan is longing to speak emotional death over you. As we look at the, the very beginning of Scripture again in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. They were both totally exposed before God and felt no shame. and then they ate the fruit. And as soon as they ate the fruit, as soon as they sinned, they were overwhelmed with guilt and with shame. And guilt and shame caused them to hide, to grab a couple of fig leaves and, and put themselves behind a fig tree and hide from God. No longer exposed before God, they chose to hide, and shame entered into the world. Jesus has come to free us from our sin, but to free us from our shame as well. You see that? Because Romans 10, Paul goes on to say, as the Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. See, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan would love to define you by the things that have defeated you, but that's not how God defines you. God defines you by what Jesus has done for you. And if you've come to a place where you've asked for forgiveness for your sins, you've been forgiven. It's a matter of accepting the forgiveness you've been given, but then it's a matter also of saying, I will not live in the shame that comes from that. In Psalm 32, David, when he's confronted with his sin, writes this mascal, and he says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, there's that place where where there's this blessing that comes on all of us who stand before the Lord, transparent before him, and say, God, I'm exposed before you. I'm transparent before you. You know everything I've ever done. You know that that the Lord's been with you every moment of your life since your unformed body. He's seen everything that you do. He knows everything that you've thought. He's been with you every moment of your life. There's not one thing you've done or thought or anything that he's not aware of. Isn't that freeing? See, if, if, you, if you, when I say that, if you feel like, oh, then you haven't taken hold of this emotional life. You haven't understood the forgiveness that you've been given. You, you're living in shame that does not need to be in your life because the very fact that God has been with you every moment of everything you've experienced allows you to say, God, I know you already know about this. But I want to confess it to you so that there's nothing between us. And shame goes away. David goes on to say, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I took the fig leaves off. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Guilt, gone. Sin, gone. Shame, gone. Emotional life. Life, abundant. Do you live with shame? Have, have any of you, have any of you made a wrong choice? Oy. Are there consequences from that choice you've made? Sometimes the consequences Satan uses to keep us trapped in shame and guilt. But God has come to bring life. I have a friend I'd like you to meet. Her name is Donna. And if you were here on Justice Weekend, you met her already. But I'd asked her to share a little bit more of her testimony. Because her testimony proclaims the truth of what emotional life can bring into the life of someone. Donna, thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Um, Before I get into my story, I just wanted to kind of highlight that as a woman who chose abortion, any time those words in uh, the service, or even when speaking, you know, choose life, um, that phrase is like a dagger in my heart because I didn't choose life at one point in my life. Um, And, you know, the the highlight, or you think everybody's looking at you, she's the one that didn't choose, she's the one, and that's not true. Um, and Satan uses that to keep us down he wants us to build up those walls so that we stay frozen in fear um, because we don't want anybody to know what we've done um, for that condemnation um, and as you'll see in my story um, the emotional death that Pastor Chuck talks about is so crippling and why it's probably behind a lot of the decisions uh, that women feel they need to make um, so I was uh, uh, 17 when I made a, a quick decision that uh, that changed my life. And even though I believe when I was eight, um, I think I was saved because I went into a closet and I asked Jesus to come into my life, and I know He did. But I was not um, was not groomed and taught what that meant. So. As I went through life, I really didn't understand um, who Christ was and what it meant to have a relationship with him. Um, So at 17, um, I was uh, still a virgin, and I um, had these strong morals, I believe, from when I was saved. And um, I was dating a boy that I had intended to get married, Um, so I let my guard down and I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to marry this guy it'll be okay, so we started a sexual relationship. And um, I went on the pill, I thought I was being all responsible because I have the guy I'm gonna marry, I'm you know, taking precautions, and my pride was like, I'm doing a great job. And then my mother found out that um, I, we were having sex, and because I was on the pill, uh, she said, you know, t- she told me to go off the pill, Come to find out later that was because if people knew I was on the pill, they knew I'd be having sex, and that would look bad on her. So I went off the pill, and I got pregnant. My world stopped. I was angry, confused, scared, scared of the consequences of what this pregnancy and this choice to have sex would make. Um, my boyfriend. Jack, his family, you know, he was the poster child, he was the perfect son. How could I tarnish that, you know, precious um, reputation? Um, Because it was all my fault that I was pregnant, of course. Um, We didn't talk about it, we never said anything about it, I just went through the motions. I thought, I had to fix this, I messed up. Went to Planned Parenthood, there's no consultation there, they just give you a phone number and they say, call. Uh, So I called, we made the appointment, and I went to Milwaukee. Um, At that point, I was pretty much already numb. Um, I was a zombie. Uh, The place was packed, and it was um, like a a slaughterhouse. Everybody was just going room to room. You know, you check in, you go to the next room, get your blood pressure, and they just pack you through. Um, So I got to the room. And I saw a tube from the machine, and I asked if that's where, you know, the baby's going to go. And they said yes. So it started. And the as I felt the ripping out inside of me, of the precious life that I just took. Um, The baby that I chose to abort um, with no consideration, no discussion, nowhere through the process between even me and my boyfriend, my family, I had no resources at that time to have these conversations. And now with the crisis pregnancy centers around, you know, it's my hope that more women will have people to talk to so that they will know that there are choices um, and that this isn't just an it. It isn't just a blob of tissue, it's a human life. And through testimonies of uh, women similar to me, hopefully they will see the ramifications. Um, so, we went on with life, never talked about it again. It was like it was forgotten. <laughs> no. Um, the enemy likes to make sure that we are um, we never forget the sin and the choices that we make. I got married, uh, and that's when my promiscuous started. I was so empty inside that I wanted to just fill up this emptiness. Um, I was emotionally dead. I was unworthy. Who would love me for what I've done? This is just... And I didn't understand what that was at the time, and I just kept seeking out something to fill that. Alcohol made me suppress any morals that I had. And I just uh, was trying to get something. And since women associate emotion with sex, I thought that's how I was going to fill myself up. And through each each encounter, there was no filling. Each one obviously just slowly deteriorated anything I had left of myself. Um, so... Uh, in fact, I finally got pregnant. I thought getting pregnant would fill this void. Um, and the irony with that is, I wasn't even sure if it was my husband's baby. Uh, but it was. <laughs> um, and that helped fill my void for a time. I had the kids, and I was needed. I felt like I had a purpose. Um, and I just loved being a mom. It gave me, it filled up some of that emptiness for a time. But as they grew up and started to become more independent, that emptiness started to rear its ugly head again. And so then I started to drink again and have more affairs. And it came to a point where I just, I didn't even know who I was anymore. I was completely empty. Uh, 20 years of marriage, um, I can't even count how many affairs I had. Um, again, it was just unspoken. We just went through the motions. He never... You know, wanted to talk about it. Um, we just ignored it, just like we ignored the abortion. And the abortion has an impact on both the mother and the father. Um, the reason my husband at the time um, was so um, unaffectionate was because the abortion killed a part of him at that time as well. So there's healing needed for both the women and the men. It affects each of us differently. And I believe that was the destruction of our marriage. So after my final affair, um, I uh, actually had gotten beaten up and almost killed, uh, because I was flirting. And a woman didn't like me flirting and decided to bash my face into the concrete. Um, it was at that point I realized who I had become, and I, I had to stop this madness. I couldn't, I couldn't take doing what I was doing. It wasn't, I couldn't stop it. Um, So, I thought maybe getting a divorce would would do that. Um, Plus, it wasn't fair to him who I had become. Um, And so, I got the divorce. Um, The relationship I was in pretty much was rocky, for obvious reasons. And he broke up. And at that point, I hit rock bottom. I didn't know where to turn. I had lost my family, I lost my kids, my house. I was completely alone, but God sent in the troops, and he rescued me. He sent a woman to speak words that I needed to hear, and I went home that night, and I opened up my Bible, and I just fell to my knees, and I said, God, please help me. I need to live your ways, because your ways are pure. My ways have uh, left quite the path, (laughs) Um, and he had opened up every door that I could imagine. In fact, if this aisle was those doors, I just ran through all of them. I went through a Bible study, um, I started going to church, and little by little, he started to restore me room by room, just like a a restructuring of a house. Um, And each room that he um, started to repair, he was redeeming me to be my perfect and pure self that he created. And for all those years, I could never look in the mirror. Um, All I saw was an ugly wretch that just kept making mistake and mistake after mistake. And who could love that person? Because she was just horrible. Um, In fact, when I got baptized, um, I asked the pastor to kind of hold me under the water, just a little bit longer than normal, (laughs) because I wanted to make sure she was gone. But He is so gracious and His blood does cover all of that so that we can walk in pure transparency. And He corrected all of the broken glass in my house to be crystal clear transparency so that I could walk and and share what He has done for me and and that there is hope and healing and that we don't have to walk like we're carrying chains. And um, through this healing, I I went through a forest to try to do some more journaling and different things to to try to process some of the healing I was going through. And not sure how I came to it. Obviously, God led me right to this place. Um, I went through shrubs and trees, and I don't even know how I got there. Sorry, you know I got there. Um, And I came upon this tree. This tree... um, was comp- perfect on the outside. The bark was you know, nice and thick, but then if you look, it was completely hollowed out. There was not anything inside of this tree but the outside bark. And I looked at this tree and I'm like, that's me. I connected with this tree. I even climbed inside of it and I fit perfect. Um, and that's that unworthiness that we feel that keeps us trapped. In, in not getting healing, because we don't think we're worthy. Um, but God wants us to be healed so desperately. And it's similar to... Um, I explain people when I'm, I'm riding and a horse is very scared. They want to flee. And for us, it's either we freeze or we want to flee. And instead of what the rider needs to do is make them turn and face it. And just like God wants us to face our fears, because he doesn't want our fears to trap us and freeze us. He wants us to be free of those fears in, in his redemption. And once we face it and we turn that horse to the, the scary thing and we make them look at it, and we're there to say, it's okay, just like God is saying, it's okay, I'm with you. And we're with that horse as they walk on and say, oh. and there's this letdown of like, okay, I can do this because I have God with me. And he's with us every step of the way.
0: Thank you, Donna. Amen. (laughs) Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You see that, right? How many of you could resonate as she began pulling things off? He's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and maybe for you it's an abortion in your past. Maybe, whether you're a man or a woman, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's sexual trauma, maybe it's, maybe it's one of a hundred different things, and you feel like this. God is the giver of Life. I have come, Jesus said, so that you may have life and have it to the full. He restores, he redeems, he buys back. He's an amazing Savior. And He longs for you to experience this healing in your life. A sanctity of life. God is the giver of all life. Lord God. For each person in this room, for myself, the places, Lord, where I feel overwhelmed with guilt or with shame or with sin, for each person here, whoever they are, you know each one of us, Lord. Wherever that healing touch may be needed by you, would you bring that healing touch in? Would you help us, Lord, embrace the forgiveness that you've brought into our lives? Would you help us with the shame, with the guilt, according to your promise that those who trust in you will never be put to shame? We pray this in your name, amen. May I ask you please to stand and hear God's good word for you? Donna's headed to the back. If you'd like to talk to her at all, she'll be back there, and she'd be glad to talk to you. The insert for 2361 talks about opportunities for you to go and find healing if if you have these things in your past. If you have never experienced spiritual life, don't leave here today without doing it. And as I say so often, if you don't know for sure, talk to the person next to you. And if the person next to you doesn't know, both of you come on up here. And if you're living in a place of emotional death, if this is the situation in your life, don't leave here. Come up and talk to me. Talk to Donna. Talk to, talk to Mel. Talk to, talk to one of the elders. Talk to somebody. You don't need to be ashamed. I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. Amen.